0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a retired 27-year veteran of the NYPD. And with me, my co-host, straight out of Brooklyn, retired NYPD detective, Phil Grimaldi. How are you doing tonight, Phil?
1: I'm doing pretty good, Billy, and I'm fired up with this one tonight, boy.
0: I got to tell you. Amazing. And uh, so much that uh, I'm so thrilled to have Dan Bibb on, who I really consider not just a friend, but a superstar uh, district attorney from the Manhattan DA's office. He did 24 years with the Manhattan DA's office, and he's now working as a defense attorney. And just like us, Dan Bibb is a lover of New York City, and we are so unbelievably perturbed at what is going on in this city relative to crime. First of all, the eight years of de Blasio uh, destroyed a lot of the great work that the uh, the NYPD did in conjunction with the DA's office who had to be partners in fighting crime with us. However, now what is being proposed by this new district attorney, Alvin Bragg, is just, to us, outrageous, and I think Dan Bibb uh, feels the same way. Dan, welcome to the show. He's got no volume. No, uh, Dan, no volume. You have no volume. Baby, pull your headphones out.
1: All right.
0: Yeah, exactly
2: yeah, headphones aren't going to work, I think. No,
0: they're not going to work. They may have so, been muted. So, Dan, we were talking about, you know, how you, uh, a 24-year district attorney, you saw this city at its worst. I believe you started maybe uh, in the late 80, 80s. 90, 1982. 1982. 1982. Oh, so you saw, even, you saw even the worst parts of the city.
2: But you also homicides, saw this. Homicides at uh, well over 2,000 a year. Uh, Well over nine hundred in Manhattan. Um, When I was on homicide call, it was you were out every you were out for twenty four hours, forty eight hours, seventy two hours. It was nonstop. So you
0: know that the efforts that the district attorney's office went to, as well as the NYPD with broken windows style policing, it's something that actually worked. And you know, in a book by uh, Bill Bratton, who wrote a book called Turnaround, he described how he he enabled the city to turn around and get crime to go in the right direction. And he used the broken windows policing. And then once you had crime under control, you could start using some of these social service programs that Alvin Bragg is now talking about, but, he, but having them as the cornerstone of your policy is uh, is just outrageous.
2: Well, I, I'm not, I'm in agreement A little bit with um his concept of diversion but i don't i'm not in agreement with diverting people who commit violent crimes and uh you know gunpoint robberies knife point robberies these are people who belong in state prison uh these are people who don't belong in diversionary programs um what you what you what we saw back in the 80s and early 90s were professional criminals um they they were you know there was I, I prosecuted a guy who was a career burglar that's all he did it's what he did for and he was a professional he did that's what he did for a living these are the people that he now wants to defer to put into programs he's going to let them out of jail right after they're arrested Uh, Well, the legislature sort of that, but they're going to be let out of jail right after they're arrested. They're going to be back on the street. And a career burglar, a professional burglar does what he does. He's a burglar. He's not going to change. I don't think there's a diversionary program in the world that would change him.
0: And, uh, Dan, just just for our audience so they know what you mean by diversion, diversion means instead of uh, getting punished and going to jail or to prison, they put you in a program, counseling, alcoholics, anonymous, Drugs Anonymous, a program like that, Community Service, but you're not being punished, which, as we know, is deterrence. And if there's no teeth in the law, people are just going to keep breaking the law with impunity.
2: Well, I, I certainly am in agreement with that. Uh, I, I've i seen it for 20 – I saw it for 24 years in the DA's office. Um, I've certainly had repeat customers as a defense attorney. Uh, I've had repeat clients that – just can't help themselves. So you're, you're sending people to diversionary programs. They'll do what's necessary to get out from under that given case, and they'll just go on to the next. Uh, how many times are you going to offer diver- a diversionary program? How many times are you going to offer um, substance abuse program? How many times are you going to offer Alcoholics Anonymous to a person who is professional, uh, was a professional criminal or a hardened criminal? And that's what these policies seem to say—that no matter what, you know. I mean, and we've read about it recently. The New York Post has covered a couple of stories of knife point robbers that were charged, that that were career criminals that were should be in state prison that were charged with petty larceny. That is the definition of insanity.
0: Yes, you know. Let me just show a little bit. I'm going to put pull up a uh, a little bit of a video here. Bill, can I make
1: a comment about diversion? I mean, I I just, I reviewed the eight page uh, statement that he put out and specifically with regard to misdemeanor desk appearance tickets. Now this is in black and white in his, uh, 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 his eight page that he put out. If the person accepts diversion, in the case of a desk appearance ticket, a misdemeanor crime, the office will work to ensure that they do not need to appear in court, including if the diversion mandate is not complete before their scheduled appearance. So what's that saying? That's saying that if we give them diversion, they have to do some type of a drug uh, counseling or whatever it is, and they don't complete it and the court date comes, they still don't go to court. So there's a problem even with the diversion. It's right there in black and white. Anybody can pull it up.
0: All right, let me just play a little bit of this uh news report
3: News: natalie dudridge reports
4: i've had a semi-automatic weapon pointed at my head i've been shot at. so don't tell me about guns i know about guns
3: at the national action network's house of justice on west 145th street and malcolm x boulevard manhattan d.a alvin bragg had a message for the crowd
4: my top priority and i've been talking about this not just for two years but for decades is guns he
3: says fighting the most serious crimes requires more effort so he's directed his office to spend less time prosecuting crimes like marijuana <coughs> misdemeanors prostitution and fair evasion
4: it's going to give us the resources to focus on guns and to focus on domestic violence.
3: bragg also doesn't believe that longer sentences deter crime so he's advising lesser charges for some low-level drug offenders and for some burglaries but he says don't be mistaken
4: if you go into a store in manhattan and use a gun to rob that store. That is armed robbery. That is serious. And we'll be prosecuting armed robbery in Manhattan.
3: The new policy has drawn criticism from the Police Benevolent Association, fearing the <laughs> impact it will have on people who live and work in Manhattan. <laughs> Police Commissioner Keyshawn Sewell sent an email to NYPD rank and file saying, I have studied these policies and I am very concerned about the implications of the safety of the the public and justice for the victims. She went on to say, I believe in reform that makes sense. In that same vein, I'm concerned about sweeping edicts that seem to remove discretion, not just from police officers, but also from assistant district attorneys regarding what crimes to persecute and how to charge them. To which D.A. Bragg responded.
4: To all my partners in law enforcement, let's also be clear about another thing. If you are assaulted, that is a serious matter and a crime, and that will be prosecuted as such.
3: When asked last week, Mayor Eric Adams said he's still analyzing the plans. Adams, along with Commissioner Sewell, are calling for a meeting between lawmakers, D.A.s, and law enforcement to find common ground. In Harlem, Natalie Dudridge, CBS 2 News.
0: You know, I think what's concerning to us besides the fact that uh, congratulations, you've had guns sh- sh- put against your head and you've been shot at. So has everyone in, in New York. You know, unfortunately, you're not alone. You know, you would
1: think that makes him more sensitive to try and prosecute.
0: Right. right. To say, yeah. And the thing is, is that where he's missing is that when you let the lower level crimes go, they graduate to the higher level crimes. And if there's no teeth in the law, if there is no deterrence, which is one of the most important things, you know, and and you talk about, there's two types of deterrence, general deterrence and specific deterrence. Specific deterrence is for that individual that commits that crime. We have a special sentence for you. General deterrence is when the rest of the population sees that the specific deterrence guy
2: got put away and that's going to make them stay in line. I think, let me make, let me make two points about, uh, about that. Number one what he, just, what he said in National Action Network actually flies in the face of paragraph 6A of his policies. And what it says is, and this is a quote, an act that could be charged under penal law sections 160.15, subdivisions 2, 3, and 4, 160.10.2B, or 160.05, which are all robberies that occurs in a commercial setting should be charged under penal law section 155.25. That's petty larceny I mean, and I mean, a misdemeanor. If the force or threat of force consists of displaying a dangerous instrument or similar similar behavior but does not create a genuine risk of physical harm. So let's look at 160.15 subdivision 2. That's armed with a deadly weapon. That's a gun. His policy flies in the face of what he just said at the National Action Network. Six one sixty fifteen subdivision three is a knife, is is a dangerous instrument a knife, and they're and they're charging petty larcenies as a knife point robberies. One sixty ten is rob two aided. In other words, you're more than one person committing a robbery. And robbery three and 1605 is rob three. So basically, what he's saying, everything he said there flies in the face of what his his printed policy
0: is. Well, Dan, you know the thing is when you write something down. You can't lie about it later on
2: because it's well, it's in stone. You know what I well, mean? He, he just did, right? Exactly. He so just how did. how His credible flies in the face of what he just said? But let me let me make a point about you know about letting about broken windows um, theory. Uh, so one of the first the the first felony trial I had was a knife point subway robbery. All right. The guy was arrested two days after the robbery for jumping a turnstile. And during the search, sub- subsequent to arrest, the victim, I think it was two days later, two stops away, on the same subway line, he's arrested jumping a turnstile. And he's got the guy's wallet and credit cards on him. He doesn't have the knife. No, I'm sorry. it doesn't have the knife on him, but he's got the guy's wallet on him. All right. And what, what happens is the detective, the cops, smart cops, I think it was in, he got arrested in the sixth precinct. The 61, the complaint reporters out of the first. They immediately take him down to the first precinct. They get the complaint in and bangs him out of a lineup. A fair evasion, a fair beat goes from an A misdemeanor to a Rob 1. Under this policy, that guy never gets caught because now jumping a turnstile, you get a ticket.
0: Right. It's a civil
2: matter. So they don't have search incidental well, to lawful well, arrest anymore. Well, it's a civil matter. So that guy never gets caught. So, you know, the the thinking that you're you're not going to be prosecuting these low level offenses does something to make us safe. It actually prosecuting these low level offenses does much more to make us safe. And that's a prime example.
1: Dan, many, many great calls have been made on enforcement of fair evasion, whether they be guns, homicides, whatever. And now we've taken the stand in New York City that we're not going to enforce fair evasion anymore. And, you know, we're letting valuable resources just slip right through our fingers. It was a tool that could be used because once you stop a person for fair evasion, it's incident to arrest. We can search them, possibly come up with a gun. And uh, we're, we're throwing away a very valuable tool It's really not, uh, it's actually disgusting what's going on. And again, like you pointed out, he contradicted himself in his statement at the National Action Network based on what he put on paper. And you can't have it both ways.
0: You know, Dan, one of the things that I just wanted to bring up too is the success of the whole crime fighting program in New York City was because the entire criminal justice system was on board. The DA's office was on board. Right. Parole was on board. Probation was on board. Corrections was everyone. Now that's not the case. And I don't look Eric Adams. I'm rooting for him. I hope he can turn things around. But he wasn't exactly a crime fighting warrior himself when he was a cop. So, I mean, he can talk a good game. But when you have a district attorney like this, I don't know how the cops are going to make these arrests and just see the district attorney letting them go. And it, it's just
2: outrageous. Well, it's not, it's not just Alvin Bragg. You've you've also I think the the only real DA in Manhattan sitting now is in Staten Island. And it, it, it was actually kind of shocking to find him come out and take a stand publicly against these policies and basically call out his colleague. I've never seen that, never heard of it. They always back each other up. But um, and the second closest is in Queens, but you have Darso Clark in the Bronx. Now you have Alvin Bragg, you have Gonzalez in Brooklyn. The thing is, it's these same things or something like them are happening in the Bronx, and they're happening in Brooklyn. But the Bronx and the Brooklyn DA's office just didn't hand out a 10-page document advertising what they were going to do. Right.
0: Okay. Well, well I, also, I also want to bring it back to, uh, to the, the disgraced governor, who, uh, thank God, he's gone. With these bail laws, which he takes totally no responsibility for, Uh, bail laws that uh, just blindly gave dangerous felons bail right from court, Uh, and the judge had no discretion, even when judges knew they were releasing dangerous people. There was one individual arrested five times in the same year for a firearm, and they, they bailed him. That is not criminal justice.
1: Billy, I got to call out on that because even if uh, the judge has a, a, a certain protocol that he has to go by, if he feels that a person is a danger to the community and a person getting arrested five times with a loaded handgun to me is a danger to the community, then he could stop that person from being uh, released, but they're afraid to do it. You know, when a police officer takes action and something goes wrong, or if he makes a mistake, or if he does something intentionally, it's picked apart a split second decision and that officer could wind up in jail. However, judges and district attorneys. Or- officers. They could come up with policies that will let someone back out on the street. Someone is killed and they face no consequence. The time has come that we need to have consequences for prosecutors and we need to have uh, consequences for judges. If a judge bailed somebody that beats up their wife, a domestic violence case, and then they go out and they wind up killing that wife, then that judge should be held accountable. I'm sorry. It's time for accountability and it's time for uh, the, the, I think the, the city and the country is crying out for something like this. When a police officer does something like that and someone's hurt or killed, they have to face either a civil, a civil matter or a criminal matter. And they're making a split second decision. These cases are being uh, pondered over over a great period of time. And a judge makes a decision or a district attorney makes a decision to release these mutts. And then what happens? Someone gets killed and they don't have anything to face. They don't have any uh, consequences to face at all.
2: Well, as far as as far as the bail laws go, you have the legislature and Cuomo to thank for that. Absolutely. Um, unfortunately, judges are required to follow the law. The bail laws there. There are offenses in now in the penal law that are not subject to cash bail a judge would be swiftly reversed on appeal and you of course i listen i'm a criminal defense attorney my job now is is to try and keep my clients out of jail Um, but you have every everybody's assigned a defense attorney and if a judge said bail on a case that is a non-bailable offense that guy may spend one or two days in jail and it may be one or two days is not going to harm anybody but that guy's that person is going to be out It's inevitable because an appeals court will definitely reverse that judge. So you have the legislature, the Senate, you have Andy Cuomo um, to thank for the bail laws. Uh,
1: Dan, but the judge has... Someone in front of him that he feels is a danger to the community, even though the law states that they're not supposed to get cash bail. Isn't there uh, an opportunity for the judge to say, well, this is a special case and I want this guy incarcerated either on bail or no bail?
2: No, there are no exceptions. There a, a an offense in the penal law is either subject to cash bail or it's not. And if it's not, then that person's going to be out. It may take the defense attorney a, d- a day or two to get to another judge on a writ of habeas corpus. Um, that judge is going to reverse that. And if that judge doesn't, you go to the appellate division, the appellate division is going to reverse. Right, so there are offenses subject to bail and offenses that aren't subject to bail. And a judge has no discretion. If
3: that's the case,
1: case. and I were a judge, I'd rather have my decision overturned than have the blood on my hands if someone is killed by a person that belongs behind bars.
2: I mean, I've heard, I have not seen, but I've heard of judges making records that they think that this person should be held in on bail, but the law has handcuffed them. I haven't seen it personally, but I've had colleagues tell me that they've been in court where uh, a judge makes a record. Probably to try and protect his reputation because, you know, he he wants people to know that I think this 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 person should be subject to bail, even though it's a non-bailable offense, because I think he's a danger to society or he's not going to return. Um, and, you know, I've heard I've heard anecdotal evidence from fellow defense attorneys that one or two judges have made records like that. Uh, then at the end of the proceeding, say, and you're now released on your own recognizance. Amazing.
0: So, uh, Joe Joe Murray is in the chat. Joe Murray's a former police officer. He's now a uh, defense attorney. He ran for Queens District Attorney. He wants to he wants to give you a little shout out, Dan. Hey, fellas, Dan Bibb is an incredible defense attorney. I tried my first federal trial with him. Great to see you, brother. I don't know. Us, 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 or is that a oos, oos, oos? I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. But, uh, I that is.
2: <laughs> but US, anyway,
1: that's and, and, Folks. I, Joe,
2: Joe and I, Joe and I had had a good time trying that case. Um, it ended up being a conviction, but I, all I'll tell you is this, is, is that um, the crime was on video. Our client was clearly on the video committing the crime, and we kept the jury out for almost seven hours. <laughs> so
0: that, that, that's some during, good. That's a good commercial for defense attorneys. Even you know? though
2: he he ended up being convicted, um, it was a pure victory because we actually expected. You know, uh, let's let's have lunch, and then we'll convict them. Yeah, but uh, it was it was much later in the day. It was maybe about seven hours, but five or six hours before they convicted him
0: so You know, Dad, I, I was I always bring up this case. And to me, this was the case that turned New York City around. And we call it the Brian Brian Watkins moment. And this is when a family from Utah was in New York City to go watch the U.S. tennis open in Forest Hills. And they took the train from Times Square. And the mother was attacked by a group of savages. The son came to her aid and he was stabbed to death. That was the incident that galvanized New York City and people all said, enough is enough. We have had it. This is outrageous. People are getting killed in broad daylight. What the hell are they going to do about it? And is there is there possibly a case now? Look at this. Look at this. We weren't seeing this happen. You know, you have a 19-year-old girl in East Harlem working at a Burger King. The guy robs the store, gets the money, still shoots and kills her. I mean, we're seeing the real hardened type criminals again that disappeared under you know the last term of Bloomberg, uh, de Blasio brought, brought all of this back. Look, we weren't seeing – carjackings were, were happening all the time back in the 90s. That word carjacking disappeared from our vernacular for they're, a while. They're back again. Yes, they're back. is you're seeing the outrageous savages in the subway again. You weren't seeing that for years. But this lax style of criminal justice is what's bringing them back. And I apologize. For people that aren't used to hearing criminals called savages, but they are savages if they're in the subway robbing people, beating people to death in the subway. And and someone that does a stick up at a Burger King and and gets the money and shoots and kills. Is this the ca- kind of case that
2: Bragg would prosecute? Well, oh, um, uh, that's 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 the case that he would want to be on the front page about. That's the case that he would. You know, he. you know, if when the guy's arrested, if if he's convicted, you know, he'd be standing next to the trial attorney who who tried the case, um, trumpeting the successes of his office. Meanwhile, let you know, I mean, his policy says, of course, we're going to prosecute homicides. But even that is ridiculous. Okay, they're process. They're going to prosecute homicides, but they're not going to ask for anything more than 20 to life. That, and and they will never ask for a sentence of life without parole. So I had my last my last trial in the DA's office was a guy who killed six people, and he gets he got five sentences of life without parole consecutive to one another. Now under Braggs under Braggs theory under Braggs policy, that guy at some point they they're all they're going to do is ask for twenty to life. That guy who killed five people, I'm sorry, it was six and a seventh in Connecticut, he would be eligible for parole at 20 years. That's what the policy says. Now, he says that there are exceptions, and I'm hoping he would he would make an exception in that kind of case. But you don't know. But that's what his policy says. And we will never seek a sentence of life without parole. That's ridiculous. Yep. The legislature enacted... The sense of life without parole, just for people like that last trial, just for people, um, one or two other cases that I tried, and they, it is an appropriate sentence under certain circumstances, and it is an asinine policy in my thinking to rule that out. You know, and, and, he, and he never says, he, and that that's a sentence of its own, and there's no exceptions to it. A lot of those other policies says, oh, yes, there are exceptions and we have to look at the facts and we have to uh, use our discretion. But that sentence stands alone and there's no exception to it. The 20 to life sentence stands alone and there's no exception to it. That's ridiculous. Yeah. There There are some people and I prosecuted quite a few of them who are beyond redemption and should never get out of jail.
1: Well, we just saw one of them on the screen, that killer of that uh, 19-year-old girl. But I want to dissect that a little bit. Billy and I talked before we went on the air. Uh, There's going to be a very high chance that that guy has a long criminal history. I don't think that was the first time he stuck a gun in someone's face. And he probably got bolder and bolder. And now with the policies in effect under Bragg, where if you do do uh, an armed robbery and you don't hurt anybody... Uh, you're going to be charged with petty larceny. And then you wind up in a situation like that where he, the girl handed over the money. And this savage, and I'm, I think you rightly called him a savage, Billy. This savage put a bullet in that young lady and killed her, a 19-year-old girl working in a Burger King. I mean, if there's anything worse than that, tell me what it is. That's disgusting. It's terrible. And, you know, when they capture this guy, he may be a parolee. Bill and I both feel he may be a parolee. He's going to have a long criminal history because he didn't wake up that morning, never commit a crime in his life and go hold up a Burger King and shoot a 19 year old girl. He's going to wind up being a recidivist. It's almost, we could, we could tell the story before it, he's even, uh, you know, before he's even captured. And, you know, with policies like Bragg is, is trying to institute. He doesn't want to put many people in jail, obviously based on, if you read the, uh, the, the eight pages, and, um, you know, his policies are going to encourage things like that young lady being murdered, uh, you know, working a job in Burger King. It's, it's terrible. It's disgusting.
0: You know, Dan, some of his uh, policies also, I just want to get to this quickly, is that are handcuffing the police. And one of them that we, we somewhat lost, and if you mention it to the media, they're like, oh, my God, if you say, first of all, the media calls stop, question, and frisk. They call it stop and frisk, and they do it on purpose because it's to demean the, that what that is. It's called stop, question, and frisk. It was never called stop and frisk, but the media likes to stick it up law, enforcement, law enforcement's ass by saying stop and frisk. So that tool was demonized. And I will admit the police department overused it by just searching people really without reasonable suspicion. And They overused it and they wound up, you know, you overuse it, you lose it. And that's somewhat happened. So you mentioned stop, question, and frisk now. And they're like, oh, my God, it's such a horrible part. That's what gets guns. And that's what keeps guns off the street is stop, question, and frisk. Part two of this is he doesn't want to prosecute resisting arrest. So if people fail to comply and a cop has to use force, is the cop going to be backed up by this administration? I'm sure it's not going to be backed up. By the DA's office, but how about the police department? How about the mayor? Are they going to back these officers up?
2: That's you know, Bill. That's a that's a great question. Um, you know, when when I started in the DA's office, and you would get a discount resisting arrest, um, or an assault, an assault to on a police officer, where you know the, the cop's got he's got a bruised hand, uh, you know. And it's prosecuted as a misdemeanor, uh, we would laugh and say, well, you know, police work is a contact sport, Um, but but it's a contact sport only to the extent that if if a cop is is truly injured on the job or is truly injured, that person should be prosecuted. And there's nothing in these policies that says that that's what they're going to do. You know, he he makes a big point of it in his in his speech, to National Action Network. Uh, but that's, I think that's, it's yet to be seen what he's going to be doing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But if you're putting a policy forward that says you're not going to charge resisting arrest, what is that telling the community at large? That's telling the community at large that you can tell an officer that stops you for a vac violation, a traffic violation, or jump in a turnstile, whatever it is. Go take a walk and you resist. And now you're going to have more and more where these things are going to escalate from uh, probably would have been a violation, uh, a summons. Now it's turning into an arrest situation because the person's going to resist and maybe it turns into an assault. And now you have forced complaints and you're really not doing any justice for the police department by coming out publicly and saying, we're not going to charge resisting arrest. It's, it's a policy that is skewed towards the bad people Or just the general public is going to have it in their head. He's not going to charge resisting arrest. I don't have to listen to the police. I don't have to listen to authority. And it's just going to cause an uptick in those type of situations where if if a person gets pulled over for a summons and they comply, they get the summons and they can take it to court and the system can be challenged. But if you have a person that doesn't comply, what is the cop supposed to do? How is he supposed to handle it? He has to use force. He has to put that person under arrest. And it's just going to escalate. And, you know, it, it's placing it's putting the public in a bad position as well as the police by telling them that we're not going to charge resisting arrest.
2: I, I agree with everything you said. Let's take this one step further. Uh, let's let's look at it from the point of view of the person who's resisting arrest and was not charged with resisting arrest. Um and, and and as a matter of fact, it gets to the DA's office and he's never charged. Where's he gonna go next? He's gonna go to a lawyer. Where's the lawyer gonna go? The lawyer's gonna go to federal court and he's gonna sue the cop and he's gonna sue the city and he's gonna get a payday. So it's not just the immediate consequences of lawless behavior. It's what's gonna come down the line as a result of some of these policies where there are no consequences um, for Anybody who resists arrest, uh, and and in many other cases where the the case has been declined to prosecute from by the D.A.'s office and you're going to be seeing without a doubt um, cases that get diverted, that never get filed or, or that get dismissed as a result of a successful completion of diversion, you're going to be seeing a raft of civil suits against the police department, the individual cops in the city. Because a dismissal is a termination of a criminal case in the person's favor. And it's f- not filing a case. Say if you got a DAT and they're diverted and they complete it, DAT is withdrawn. That is a termination in favor of the person arrested. And where are they going to go? They're going to go to civil court for what they think is now I was wronged by this cop who arrested me, even though the the arrest was legitimate. And if he had been prosecuted, most likely would have been convicted. It's
0: amazing. Joe Joe Murray, thank you uh, for the 1999 Super Chat. You're keeping us in business. He says, Dan is being humble. Our case was conspiracy to promote gambling and promoting gambling. The government tried to make it an O. C. case, and Dan told the jury the closest thing to O C was Garvano's daughter's friend's cousin. <laughs> Laugh out loud. <laughs> that
2: that that is that is true. And of course, the you know, this not those young AUSA objected to that. But it was absolutely true. That's the f- closest thing to O C that they got. And it was the whole thing was a joke. And right, our, by, by the way, by the way our yeah. client got After he was convicted, our client got one year of unsupervised probation. So you guys guys
0: are part of the problem then.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That entire case was a waste of everyone's time and money. But the government thought they, you know, oh, my God, we got this big OC, uh, you know, poker game going around Staten Island. So we've got to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. They literally... They sent a, an undercover cop in who lost hundreds of thousands of dollars in the, in these poker games. It was, it was absurd. You know, at least you know, they, Dan, them, they could have what, sent somebody like me and who had cho- who's got some chops playing poker.
5: <laughs> Dan,
0: I wanted to also, this has to all be tied into the defund the police movement, the war on the police movement, because in a lot of these blue States across the country, you see it on the screen. Uh, violence spikes across the country. Homicides are up, and you know you can mention the same old cities: Baltimore, Chicago, San Francisco. Uh, these these cities, and you have this: the smash and grabs. It's now like legal capitalists. Their property, their hard work, doesn't mean anything. There's coming no defi- to,
2: coming to a neighborhood near you.
0: Yeah, yeah. and it's disgraceful. And if the if the government doesn't support you and they don't protect the people, what you're gonna have is right here. This is what you're gonna have, and this is what happened in in the in the in 1984, I believe it was. Bernard Getz, for you folks that aren't from New York. Uh, the, the media immediately named him the subway vigilante. But what he was, he was a scared guy who had been mugged before and started carrying a firearm on the subway. And this one day he wasn't having it, and he shot four muggers. And he was, uh, the, he was the perfect victim. Yes,
2: until, until he wasn't. Yeah. Exactly, but well, that's
0: going to happen again. That's going to happen again.
2: Well, Bill, it's happening everywhere, and and the hallmark of all of the spikes in violence are woke DAs. You've got Kim Fox in Chicago. You've got Chesapeake Dean, whose parents are both convicted murderers and both out of jail, out of jail, uh, both convicted cop killers, no less both yes. out of jail. Thanks to Cuomo. You got Larry Krasner in Philadelphia, who for his entire career before being elected DA was as a civil rights lawyer. And he made his money suing the police department, suing the city of Philadelphia. So, and you got Marilyn Mosby in Baltimore. Oh, by the way, Shock of shocks. Marilyn Mosby was indicted by the feds this afternoon. Good. <laughs> really? Yeah. Look well, it up. Working, yeah. It's true. Yep. Surprise. It, Shocked. Shocked that her husband wasn't indicted, too, because he was involved in the stuff that she was doing. So, What, what is
1: the indictment for, uh, Dan?
2: It's for mortgage fraud, perjury, uh, false statements, uh, revolving around her purchase some, of some, uh, some property in Florida. You know, uh, there's but, another
5: component. But when the you have,
2: when you have traditional prosecutors, uh, oh, and then I, I left one out, uh, and I can't remember his name, the the maniac who is DA in LA now. But oh, yeah, when, yeah, yeah, yeah. when you are not gone, gone, right? Yeah, and, and they're all
1: George Soros back. They all received large amounts of money. Uh, specifically with Bragg, it said that he he gave a million dollars to his campaign. And this man wants to systematically destroy our country. How it's allowed is beyond me. How this man is not thrown in jail. And, and any wealth that he has within this country or anything that he owns should be seized by the government. He's obviously an anti-American. He's backing these radical DAs. Every one of them that you named was backed by George Soros. He's a. Why should a billionaire be allowed to control what goes on in our streets and what crimes are going to be prosecuted and, and what level of criminal activity is going to take place in our city? Why does he get that luxury to do that, to give a million dollars to a campaign? It's absurd. It's criminal. And, and and it's just disgusting. And every one of the people that you named, Dan, I believe every one of them got backing from George Soros.
2: Oh, no, they, they, they each of them got at least seven figures from Soros. And, I, and I, I apologize. I left out Rachel Rollins from Boston, um, who it's has, it's was who is, who is as woke as anybody can be, and was just sworn in as United States Attorney, up in Boston. And, Six- she, and she was she was confirmed by the Senate. What was the vote? Fifty-one to fifty. Oh, good. And Kamala Harris, of course, uh, was. The deciding vote as vice president.
0: Folks, this is Police (laughs) Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. If you guys aren't subscribed, please go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, ring that bell. We have a Patreon for paid memberships. We have three memberships of the bucket, polish my rack and dipped in butter. And we have our YouTube memberships where we have six memberships. I'm not gonna go into all of them right now. Six seven two East Galaxy. Thank you so much for the twenty dollar super chat. You folks uh, supporting us, we really appreciate you guys. You know, this is unbelievable. And some of the things, Dan, that's that's also egregious, and I'll use a loyally word, egregious. I learned that sitting in the Manhattan DA's office. DA's love that word for some reason. <laughs> anyway, some of the things that you know, Bill, Bragg I is- I don't think I ever
2: used that word. Yeah, I
0: think you probably used it quite a bit. <laughs> but, you know, one of the things, too, is that he, Bragg is lying because- what. First of all, how is burglary? Explain to me how burglary is not a violent crime. If you're gonna go into someone's house when they're home, you you may be met with violence. So how could they determine that burglary is not a violent crime?
2: Well burglary burglary of a dwelling is is without a weapon is is defined as a class C violent felony. It is by law a violent felony. But what Bragg has done is he's basically what the, in, in case law that it, had that it developed over the years all the way up to the Court of Appeals, uh, basically the Court of Appeals that says that a hallway in an apartment building is part of a dwelling. A garage in a house is part of a dwelling. Um, a basement in a house is part of a dwelling, even though no one's actually dwelling there. So what Bragg has said is that I don't want to put any of these these people in jail. And of course, burglary and burglary in, in the second degree is a class C violent felony, carries a minimum three and a half years in state prison, maximum 15 years in state prison. So what Bragg is saying by these policies is I don't want any of these people to go to jail if they break into. You know, a part of the, the dwelling that's not actually being lived in, say a garage or a basement or. You know, a parking garage or a hallway that someone's not actually living in. So what he's what he's saying is that, yeah, we're gonna prosecute it as burglary in the third degree, which is a class D nonviolent felony, carries as little as probation and up to seven years in jail. But according to these policies, none of those people are going to jail because it's you know, it's not doesn't fit his and but but and in, in throughout here, you know, when I first read his policies, I thought, you know, this guy is going to be ignoring the law and he's going to be ignoring what we, what we refer to as the predicate felony statutes. And there are multiple predicate felony statutes. You're convicted of a felony in New York and you're convicted of a felony later on. Man, state prison is mandatory. There, there's no doubt about it. You know, you're convicted of a robbery. Um, and you get probation the next robbery you're convicted of you're going to state prison it's mandatory but he he qualifies all of these policies and he says except where otherwise prohibited by law but a lot of people don't know about those those laws and what i'm afraid of is that he's going to be because state prison is mandated for a predicate felon what he's going to do is he's going to say, "Well, let's not prosecute him for the subsequent felony. Let's prosecute him for a misdemeanor."
0: But so Dan, isn't isn't that purpose. isn't that flouting the law? Isn't that ignoring the
2: law? It is. It's. I don't think it's flouting. Um, it's. It is ignoring the law. Um, you're basically saying because I don't want to see anybody go to jail. I'm going to ignore this this predicate felony statute and charge this guy with a with a misdemeanor. I mean, you know, some,
0: and someone in the chat just asked a really really good question: How can a district attorney rewrite existing law? And that's in fact what he's doing. Well, he's not
2: he's not rewriting anything. He's he's a, going he's, around a, it
1: though. He's going around it.
2: Basically, he is going around it. You know, in 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 New Jersey, the prosecution is very hierarchical. All of the county prosecutors' offices. Are appointed uh, by the governor. All of them answer to the attorney general. In New York, every county has its own elected DA. Every county, every county DA, including Manhattan, everyone in everyone in the city, everyone outside the city, sets their own policies. You know, like I told her said earlier, McMahon and Staten Island basically said some of these policies are crazy, you should, and you're ignoring the law. But the law gives each DA-wide discretion, and it's almost unfettered discretion. And unfortunately, the people of Manhattan spoke, and they elected them. And I guess they want felons back on the street. There were far more uh, sane and qualified, I think, qualified candidates. But I also would have to point out that there were far more Candidates that I think were further on on the left than is. So, I mean, we, we dodged a number of bullets, but we got hit with one right between the eyes.
1: And, and, you know, there was such a low voter turnout that elected Bragg. I believe it was 23% of eligible voters came out and voted during the election. I'm not sure the percentage that he got, but it was only 23% of eligible voters in New York City that put him in office and, uh, or actually that came out and voted. And then the percentage of that 23% is what got him, you know, into office. So, uh, there was some of the candidates that were definitely worse. We, we had one of the candidates on the show before the election and um, you know, uh, Liz Crotty was one of the people that we had on. And uh, yeah. I
2: know Liz. I know Liz. It's good people.
1: Yeah. We, were,
0: we were rooting for her, but we didn't think that she had a chance, you know?
2: Right. Because she was realistic. Yeah. She, yeah. She's not this far left uh, woke prosecutor who's just going to, Open the jailhouse doors and let everybody go. You know, and again, I got to call out, I'm a defense attorney, and I find some of these policies to be just ridiculous. The definition of insanity. Um, You're basically giving carte blanche to people to commit crime. Low-level crimes commit over and over and over again. You're never going to be prosecuted for them and some higher level crimes committed over and over and over again, you're never going to go to jail. Like I said, my worry is he's going to ignore the predicate felony statutes or do an end run around them by charging someone with a burglary. Give me, I'll give you an example. I prosecuted a career burglar. I actually remember his name, Robert Jahalka. It's what he did for a living. My worry is, I mean, that guy went when I tried him, he'd already been convicted like six, seven times. For burglary. And it, and he never went into an apartment building, ever, because he knew it upped the ante substantially. It was always commercial burglaries. This is what he did for a living. My worry is that somebody like Robert jahelka they're just going to ignore the predicate felony statutes and say, well, he needs help. No, he doesn't need help. He needs to be neutralized.
5: <laughs> <laughs> he
2: needs to be neutralized in state prison. Because this is what he does for a living. And brags, brags, you know, his diversionary, his addiction to diversionary programs. I mean, it's great if you identify the correct candidates who are motivated, who want help. Many don't. Uh, And you can't force people to accept help
1: yeah. But if you're, yeah, really by a church, then, you know, you're, you're obviously uh, you're arrested for trespass at a narcotics location numerous times, either you go for uh, six months or a year of treatment, or you're going to go to jail for that period mm-hmm. of time. I think that's a pretty good motivating factor. And, you know, under, you know, what, what Bragg is trying to do, that's not going to happen. And listen, before Bragg even got into office, we had the the, the bail was uh, bail reform, screwed everything up where people were being no bail. They were being released before the cop was even finishing the paperwork on a possession of a fire, a loaded firearm. The perp was back out on the street. We had uh, stop questioning frisk was thrown to the side. Anti-crime was disbanded. So, of course, all of these different crimes accelerated. And then you had a guy like Eric Adams that claimed to be a law and order uh, mayor. He was going to take over as the mayor and he was going to be a law and order mayor. And now you have a guy like Bragg that's going to publicly say these policies are going to make it safer. He's obviously insane if he could believe that. I mean, it. it, it we were going through what we went through for the list eight years with the Blasio. And then the last few with this bail reform and all the other things that took place over the last couple of years. And now this guy is going to come in and say, These policies that are going to... We're going to send less people to jail. We're going to enforce less crimes. But yet we're going to make everything better. And it's going to affect the minority community the most. I've said it before. I'll say it again. The areas that are going to get hit the hardest are going to be the minority community. And then we brought up uh, that he's not going to try prostitution cases. That prostitution is aimed at young women. Where are the women's groups? Why aren't they jumping up and down and pulling their hair out of their head? He's not going to enforce prostitution, a a, a prostitution arrest could lead to a a, a young lady being given the help, uh, getting taken off the street. uh, And he's not going to enforce those. So pimps are probably clicking their heels all over the city. And, you know, because once Manhattan does it, Brooklyn, like you said earlier, Brooklyn's not going to do it. Bronx isn't going to do it. Queens may do it. Staten Island probably isn't going to, you know, they may still uh, prosecute prostitution, but again, this is one of the crimes that it targets young women where, you know, a, a prostitution, they're not locking up 70 year old women for prostitution. It's always young ladies that usually have, uh, you know, family issues, drug problems, whatever the case may be. And we really need to extend help to people like that. And him cutting off the, the arrest process of prostitution is obviously making it more advantageous for a pimp to pull a young girl into that life. So
2: let me just so Let me just get back to what you were talking about uh, that affecting minorities, minority communities, you know, the elimination of stop question and frisk, I think we've already seen a substantial uptick in violent crime in minority communities. Um, where are the shootings, where are the, the shootings happening? The vast majority of them are in minority communities. Yes. And you know, the legitimate citizens and, and who, who's getting shot fellow gang members. Yes. But there are, Innocent civilians getting shot. There was, I think, a little girl that was just shot in her home. Um, this was up in Harlem, and if you if you got, you know, a and and there's no doubt that stop stop question and frisk was overused by the police department, and it, it had an inordinate impact on the minority community.
1: Um, okay thank Bloomberg,
4: but. You.
2: but, but the legitimate citizens who are living in Harlem, living in Spanish Harlem, living in Washington Heights, living in East New York, Brooklyn, who are seeing, and other areas of Brooklyn and Queens are seeing in the Bronx, they're seeing upticks and shootings. You know, those are the people who, if you put them in the room and ask them, you know, should we bring back stop, question, and frisk? I think the vast majority of them are going to say yes, that we don't feel safe. And yes, I realized that it had an impact on our community, but there are the, the guns are now rampant. They're everywhere. Uh, I don't think there's any fear on any uh, anybody's anybody who wants to carry a gun. I don't think there's any fear.
1: They're carrying it and they're using it and they're not because of the current policies over the
0: last... You you know guys I just want to play a bit of this because this also brings another factor into it and it's some of these violence interrupters.
3: Reporter Anthony Johnson. But Crystal didn't deserve this. She did not wake up thinking she wasn't going to make it back home.
5: The family of Crystal Bayron Nieves is living with the kind of pain that cannot be imagined.
3: This is hurting our family so much and we just want justice for her already. It's it's heartbreaking. This shouldn't be happening to anyone, especially teenagers.
5: The 19-year-old was gunned down early Sunday morning when a robber came into the Burger King on 116th Street and wanted money. He waved the gun at employees demanding the cash and Crystal gave him $100. And shortly after, she was shot and killed. Community groups came out this afternoon calling for an end to the violence. Their pleas were loud and filled with pain and grief. Gun violence is probably the most preventable epidemic that we have. The mayor was also in the crowd. He had met with the family yesterday to console them. He did not speak at the podium, but we talked to Mayor Eric Adams, who was committed to finding the suspect who committed this senseless act. It is unacceptable to me.
0: You know, one of the things is I think that what they're talking about, a lot of these Jamani Williams, they're talking about these, these groups that they want to pay these groups and they call them violence interrupters. The violence interrupters are the police. That's who we should be paying. That's who we should be hiring more of. These amateurs that are from these communities, they're getting a... How much more free money are we giving to people to do things that we can't measure the results of? I have real serious doubts that these alleged violence interrupters, half of them were gangbangers themselves. Is that the qualifications to be a violence interrupter?
1: It's ridiculous. Uh, A guy like Jamani Williams that led the charge to defund the police. He led the charge to get rid of stop, question and frisk. And again, what does it affect? It affects the minority community the most. Um, Listen, uh, stop, question and frisk. If it's re-implemented and it's done right, it could be a very valuable tool to save lives. Taking the guns off the street is going to save lives and mostly going to affect minority community. So they're full of it. You could take Al Sharpton, Jamani Williams, all of them, until they step up to the plate and say, let's get together with the police and fight gun violence and let's reinstitute anti-crime and let's reinstitute stop question and frisk. They're just spinning their wheels. Uh, Violence interrupters, uh, you know, I I don't see that there's much help that they could uh, provide for the communities when these guys are shooting each other, everybody's carrying a gun. I mean, you can't ride a subway without being pushed onto the tracks by some homeless EDP. It's really ridiculous. And But yet nobody wants to address the issue. There's a lot of common sense things that could be done, but they just want to talk. They want to show up at the rally. Everybody's there. They want to talk about how it's unacceptable, but let's do something about it.
2: I think the violence interrupters are more likely than not to be victims of the violence they're trying to interrupt.
0: You're right. <laughs> good, point. good point. You're right.
2: I just know, been- I mean, it's, it's, it's funny, not funny. You know, it, 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 it is funny, but it's not. It's not at all funny. But Dan, I believe some of our not,
0: tax dollars are paying these people. They're, they're not trained,
2: right? You know, I, 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 it just it's just beyond me how thinking that sending. Social workers or former gangbangers into what could be deadly situations is going to do anything except make them potential victims.
1: One hundred percent, Dan. You know, I just want to
0: read. I just want to read something quickly, and this is a a, a a correctional philosophy that I find the most ridiculous. It's called restorative justice, and it's a system of criminal justice that focuses on rehabilitation of offenders through reconciliation with victims and the community at large who invented that. I would like to know. So
5: if they shoot somebody,
0: are they going to sit at the table and say, I'm sorry. And is the victim going to get over it?
2: That's the theory. The Brooklyn DA's office, uh, Eric Gonzalez has been a big sponsor of restorative justice policies for the longest time. And that's, the model that Alvin Bragg wants to, wants to bring into play. Um, You know, somebody gets stabbed, ends up in the hospital for a week. Um, You know, not like, not likely, but injury serious enough to keep him in the hospital for a week. You know, what's Bragg? what are they going to do? Well, let's sit the victim down with the defendant and let's restore. What? Are they gonna give it back a week I don't of their know. Life in the hospital? I don't I don't know what they I don't know what restorative justice means. I mean, I'd love to take advantage of it as a defense attorney if I can. And if I can, as a defense attorney, I will take advantage of it because it's out there and if my client qualifies for it, I'm gonna go for it. Uh, but I don't you know it's I can't see a heck of a lot of victims of violent crime wanting to sit down with the person who committed the violence against them and in an attempt to restore what their relationship with the, I mean, I. Dan, that didn't work for me when I went to the priest
0: and confessed. (laughs) Never worked for me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. How many, we, how, we, how we many Hail to Marys? It. It. I, I'm you. still saying Hail Marys from 30 yeah. years ago. <laughs> Listen, on, we, we,
1: we know what Come works. We, we know what works. We did it before in the 80s and the 90s. We got crime down to a very low level. It started with the broken the lowest, The lowest
2: in recorded numbers.
1: Yes, exactly. And so if we know what we did before and we have the tools, we have even better tools now because – uh, investigation has taken on a new dynamic because of the—they've d- really made leaps and bounds with DNA technology. We have cell phone technology. We have video cameras that are really, really good. Uh, so you know, we, we we really have the tools right at our fingertips. We know it works. Why wouldn't we go back to that and try it? Why are we going in the other direction and allowing? de Blasio to defund the police department by $1 billion. And what are they doing with that money that was in that budget? It's probably going to the violence interrupters that Billy was just talking about. It's, it's a sham. It's, it's, it's just another way to to, the people to line their pockets with money. It's really, listen, it's common sense. We, we know how to fight this crime, this crime wave that's going on right now. We know we've did it in the past and we can do it again. We just need the backing of, the police department needs the backing of the mayor's office and the district attorney's office, and we can turn things around.
2: Even some of my most liberal friends uh, that I've shared this with think that many of these policies are crazy. They're insane. Um, of course. it's even some of, my, even some of my most liberal friends who would uh, who I would get into debates with when I was a prosecutor, when I have now share this with them, they're like – Dan, why don't you go back? You were really pretty reasonable back in the day. And I was like, well, (laughs) no. I said Vance would Vance wouldn't have me back. This guy certainly wouldn't have me back.
1: (laughs) John Donneu. He wants radical.
0: John Donneu, thank you so much for the nine ninety-nine super chat. It seems that until something happens to their family or friends, nothing gets done. You're right, John Donneu. It's very personal. I I actually believe in the code that was written many, many years ago by a guy named Hammurabi. And it goes like this, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And that is that is the original criminal justice code.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. I mean, listen, you, you can't carry, uh, there, there was a time a few years back, uh, you know, not that far, where if you carried a firearm in this city loaded and it was an illegal gun, you went to jail for that. Now you got guys five and six and seven times, they're, they're no bail, they're released. And it's like, no big deal. You know, I got called. Yeah, it was out before the cop finished the paperwork. We cannot have that. And that's a lawless society, it turns into. It turns it's into the Phil, road.
0: don't forget it's the gun, not the person pulling the trigger. Yeah, okay. The gun's the fault.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> right? Oh, well, that's another uh
0: They talk another. about that that gun pipeline from North Carolina or Florida, or whatever, and that's that's what they're gonna shut down, you know, according to the left. But you know, if you remind them, the left is always big with using I believe in science. We're going to look at the science. That was Cuomo. We, every time I watched his yeah. a COVID presentation. we're going to look at the science, and I'm going to put 15,000 old people in the nursing home and kill them, and then we'll know that that was wrong, but I'm getting $5 million to write a book. you know. So if we state to the left, look, we know that broken windows policing works because over 30 years, the seven major crimes went down 70%. They don't want to hear that, though, for some reason.
2: And it's a myth. It's also a myth that um, that the results of prosecuting low level offenses led to the mass incarceration of a generation. It's a myth. You know, the odds are that if some some kid got arrested for marijuana, you know, he's getting he's getting in the German contemplation of dismissal. He's not going to jail. He's not going to have a criminal record if he loses learns his lesson. He's not going to be carrying the weed on the street. He's going to be smoking in his apartment. Um, you know, it, it's a myth that you know somebody who jumped a turnstile went to jail. I never saw anybody who jumped a turnstile no. Everybody, uh, unless there was a subsequent, you know, offense committed to to jumping a turnstile, like gun possession. Yeah, so well, that person. Odds are they pro- they could have gotten a ticket, or they definitely got a DAT. Right. And nobody went to jail for that. Um, so the it, the myth that this led to the incarceration of a generation is is a myth. It, it's just not true. I was in the system for twenty four years. I saw it. You know, people, especially in the Manhattan DA's office. You know, Morgenthau's was we prosecute without fear or favor. No one, you know, you committed a crime, you were prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law, especially if it was a violent crime. Under Bragg, the only way you're going to get prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law is if you kill somebody. And then, and not even then, because they've taken maximum sentences off the table.
0: Dan, let me ask you something without naming, without naming any names. What are some of your code das that have been there a long time? Are they all bailing ship right now? And the ones that may be sticking around, what, what do they think? How are they going to work there?
2: Um, you know, I'm not really. I'm only in touch with one or two people that are still there, and um, they're keeping their heads down. They're the most senior people in the office handling the most serious cases. Um, they're keeping their heads down. I, I know of a number of people who left before. Um, I know at least one very senior assistant that left uh, right around Election Day. And the reason was because things were going to change dramatically. Um and I know others are probably going to stay, keep their heads down, and pad their pension. And um, I don't know if, you know, if if, if I'm sitting there in this situation. And, and by the way, I'll I'll tell you, I've heard from a couple of my former colleagues uh, who have publicly stated these policies are crazy, and have publicly stated that if they were there, they would resign rather than rather than enforce these policies. Um, and I'm sure that there are a, a heck of a lot of people that are there now thinking the exact same thing. What am I going to do? Am I going to stay and and just wait out another year or two? to, You know, I mean, all the people I'm talking about, they're vested in the pension. So, I mean, they can retire tomorrow and they're going to collect. Um, but what are they going to do? Are they going to stay and get a couple more years in and see what they can tolerate? I don't know. Because mo- because all the people that I'm talking about, the half a dozen or so people that I'm talking about, they all came up under Morgenthau. right? And they must be choking on this.
5: Unbelievable.
0: You know, and how about the citizenry, and how about the, the police department? When you you know you talk about the cop that went to the uh, to draw up the complaint of the guy that stole the two thousand dollars worth of stuff, and then pulled a scissor, which made it a robbery, and they. Tried to ch- uh, charge it as a petit loss, and, he- and, I- and he refused to sign the complaint. He said, "I'm not signing that. That's not what happened." And then all of a sudden, they turned around and they said, "Oh, may." And I don't know <laughs> if, for sh- if for sure they drew it up as a robbery or not.
2: No, they did not. It was a. And I, it was a female cop who, when she viewed the complaint, it made no mention of the scissors, no mention of the threat um and on the complaint now the the a cop wouldn't be privy to what the da puts in their da write-up but you know basically it was it it was basically written up as a shoplift with no mention of pulling the the shears and the threat and the cop refused to sign the complaint um somehow i don't i don't know why i probably because the cop went to her sergeant Where's, I mean, where's the first pro? where's the cop going to go? Right. First person, when something like that happens, who's it going to, who, who's the cop going to call? Their sergeant. Call the boss. Call the boss. Yeah. yeah. Call the boss. Boss. You'll never, you'll never believe what's happened and probably, you know, told him about the complaint and the sergeant went to the SBA and the SBA went nuts. Um, and evidently they ended up revising the complaint and I believe they added a um, menacing, a misdemeanor menacing count, so which is a joke just,
0: because you know menacing. something. A robbery is a robbery because you're showing you can't you can't be a petty larceny with a menacing. That is that is a disgrace.
2: <laughs> that, Pettit larceny with a menacing is a definition a robber. of robbery in a the robber, first, yes. robbery in the first degree. Yes, right. yes. That's the definition of robbery in the first degree.
0: You know, Dan, oh, I God. think when if they're going to draw these things up as pet larcenies, I think of all these poor old ladies in East Harlem when I was the rip sergeant there, that guys from a car would grab their pocketbook and, grab the, and take the old lady with them and drag the old lady along the street from the back of a car and get away with the bag, and the old lady would almost be dead. That's what are they going to prosecute that as um, a, a pettinessy and a, an injured old lady? Is that what that's going to be? You know,
2: I think that's probably one that Bragg would. Well, you never know. That's one that Bragg would would take all the way, but you don't know.
1: Yeah, but we need to have the deterrence, so it, the, the thought just doesn't go through these people's minds that they're going to do something like that. And there is no deterrence. If, if, if they could get a bag and get caught, you know, without an injury, let's say they do a, a match and they get a bag and they're only getting charged with pedal loss and they keep doing it. And now you have the incident where the woman holds on to the bag and she's dragged down the block and she's left for dead. There's no deterrence. This is, this is really not that hard to figure out. There's a lot of common sense here. And this guy's going in the other mm-hmm. direction.
2: Well, it's, it's going to make us safer, Phil.
0: Yeah, that, that's the biggest <laughs> lie. That's the biggest lie. Is it's definitely going to make us safer. Having all these unpunished criminals out there. He thought I Al there.
1: Sharpton behind him when he said that, that it was going to convince everybody, but I don't think it helped at all. I think it had the opposite effect because most people think that uh, Al Sharpton well,
2: I, Yeah, you know, I mean, Sharpton doesn't have a lot of credibility.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And that's what I said to Billy when I saw it. I said, if he had one ounce of credibility, Bragg, it's gone now because he went on a press conference in the National Action Network with Al Sharpton, who has zero credibility. So you hit the nail right on the head, in my opinion.
0: You know, guys, we're at an hour and uh, 10 minutes. And this is usually when uh, actually before this, we usually uh, go to uh, say our closing remarks. I just want to thank everyone that listened tonight. I think this is a fascinating discussion. You folks that are from other countries or the cities, you see what we're up against in this woke uh, this woke world we're living in. It's just, it's just crazy. That's why people are all moving to red states because these people are out of their mind. And I don't mind saying that. You can t- classify me any way you would like. I'm a cop and always be a cop. But I want to thank everyone that was in the uh, chat, everyone that contributed to us. And uh, I want to thank Dan. It's great to see you again. Good and you know, Dan, you. I want to I want to do another show with you. And when we get off the air, I'm going to tell you what
1: I want, what kind of sh- what show okay. I want to do. All and right. uh, right. Phil, last last remarks. Dan, I just want to th- say thank you because there's not very many people that are in your position, a former prosecutor, now you're in private practice, that will say the things that you've said publicly. But it obviously is you're a good New Yorker. You know the difference between right and wrong. And I appreciate you coming on tonight. It was a great conversation. Um, We know how to get this stuff done. We know we've done it in the past. And uh, they're obviously doing the opposite of what would bring down crime. And I think we made our point with that. Again, thank you very much, Dan, for coming on. And I'm waiting to hear with this next one that Billy's got in mind. I <laughs> it sounds like I can see his wheels are spinning.
0: Dan, you wanna say you wanna say goodbye to your high school teacher, your junior high school teacher, anybody? Father, Father O'Hanlon, anyone.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, Bill is good to see you, Phil. Um, you know, I we're gonna see how this plays out. But I'm not that I am not confident in the safety of New York City going forward. Uh, there these policies. Um, they're going to be putting people back on the street that don't that deserve to be neutralized, that deserve deterrence, specific deterrence. And, you know, offering them repeated attempts uh, at programs is not a deterrence it's a slap on the wrist not not even a slap on the wrist it's a pat on the back do better son and even if you screw up the first time we'll let you do it again and again and again we'll see how it plays out but like I said I'm not confident I it, I don't think I think there's a long way down before we start going back up I agree, I agree. I agree.
5: All, right, guys,
0: all right guys thank, guys, thank, you, so thank you so much, much. tuning in tonight you hear that echo uh we're police off the cuff real crime stories have a great night
1: stay safe everyone